Break It Down, Make It Better is a series of events aimed at producing educational programming, discussions, and professional development opportunities for artists, musicians, and curators in our community and region. These programs are presented through a partnership with Dwelling Place, Art Prize, and Creative Many Michigan. Welcome to another episode of Break It Down, Make It Better, the podcast. I'm Heather Duffy. We are here in the WGVU Public Radio Studios recording this episode, and we are myself, Natalie Wetzel, Lily Rich, and Zachary Trebellis. Thank you all for being here. Will you each tell me a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our listeners? Zachary, let's start with you. I'm Zachary Trebellis. I'm a local artist and musician, and I'm also a member of the Avenue for the Arts board, um, and that's why I'm here with Heather putting this together. I am Lily Rich. Uh, I run the Snake Shack, a house venue in Grand Rapids um, with my roommates, I am a Leo. Uh, I am an artist and a musician. I am Natalie Wetzel. I am um, an artist here in town, also a professor at Kendall College of Art and Design, and I'm also the co-director of The Moon, a multidisciplinary space on the west side. We have all come together today to talk about unconventional spaces. This is for the listener's benefit. We know. I think we know why we're here. What is this thing called life? We are looking forward to hearing about all of the different stories and experiences that you'll share in how you have come to run your spaces and good things and bad things that have happened along the way, bad things that have morphed into good things and the opposite. And the question that I would love to use to kick us off is just what inspired you to take the plunge and start your space? Um, I can start. I uh, moved here about two years ago. So when I first moved here, I had gone to a couple like house shows where I'm from, like Boston area. Um, It was maybe just a couple before I moved out here. So moving out here is where that kind of really took off. I'd go to shows with my friends a lot. And somewhere along the line, I started booking shows. As a musician myself, I have friends through like Facebook, Twitter, wherever, like living across the U.S., sometimes out of state or out of the country, rather. And they would be like, hey, you live in Grand Rapids, right? Do you want to book a show for me? So I started booking shows elsewhere. So I've booked shows at like Witch House and some shows in Kalamazoo as well, Noyce Manor, which is no longer. I I really liked it. And I wanted to eventually like start a show house of my own. So last summer when I moved into a house with some friends, I was like, do you guys want to do shows? And we were all really into the idea and it kind of took off so we do like three or four shows a month sometimes more than that um it is a lot of fun uh to run them see all of our friends meet new people um and it's kind of cool a house venue is different from something from like a different kind of venue because it's like literally our house so we have just kind of trust people to respect the house and (laughs) can be kind of scary but (laughs) it's been a really good decision i think yeah some of the best shows i've ever seen have been in house venues yeah you know I've lived a lot of different places since I left Greenville, Ohio, where I'm from. But the story of why I started The Moon goes kind of deep. So I'm going to do a condensed (laughs) summary of how that happened. Uh, When I was really little, I was always making theme parties. I would spend months and months on putting together a 20s party or a 50s party, a Beatles party. Always had um, Halloween parties in our barn every year. Um, And then I went off to art school and learned what it meant to be a serious academic, you know, getting my BFA in sculpture and MFA um, out in New Mexico. 
BFA, I was at the Columbus College of Art and Design. And uh, that's a really great town for grassroots art organizations. And there were a lot of um, sort of house parties and venues there. And um, a friend of mine, Matt Clausen, he worked at NASA for a long time and actually was here in town as a visiting artist. But he loves music and he's a visual artist. And um, he had a space in Columbus and I really admired what he was doing. So after I got my master's degree, I was doing shows and I was finding myself in all these different contexts. Um, I was modeling and working in visual merchandising. And I realized that I really wanted to work with musicians, you know. Um, so how do you do that? Well, um, as a visual artist who doesn't actually do music, I was offering services to curate events like I had done when I was little. And through my training in the arts, it was kind of easier to understand how to curate within a legitimate space or maybe an alternative space, right? So I was gaining a lot of experience with that. And I found myself in California after a while making music videos and kind of art directing and producing and being on art teams for music videos. And I made all of these friends who were really interesting people who wore a lot of different hats, right? So you find like, right, when you're curating a a space, an event space, you're wearing a lot of different hats, right? You're not just like um, the person at the door, the person that sort of books the shows, you're like making the entire space feel like something, right? So I love that idea. So I was out in California, and then Kendall hired me um, as an assistant professor of interdisciplinary sculpture in 2014. So it was like right place, right time. I was like, ooh, I have a job. I have a salary now. I can afford, (laughs) you know, to like make this um, maybe um, culminate in a space that I could kind of call my own and invite other people in. So when I moved to town... The first night I was in town, I met my partner, um, began as my studio partner, and then later we became partner partners, (laughs) but just by crazy life coincidence, met the first night I was in town, and we started The Moon together. There was a space on Straight and Wealthy above where Denderbeck used to operate, and they have since moved into the second floor as well, but just by chance, that week that I moved to town, it became available. So right place, right time, and I just went for it. I was kind of working off of this momentum of working in California and around all these people with all this energy. And when I moved to town, I really wanted to bring that and make sure that if anybody wanted to come in, you know, to Grand Rapids, or if they would come if I invited them in, that I would have this space where we could kind of make magic happen or something. Do you, sorry if this was totally clear and I missed it, do you also live at the moon? Or do you, is it a live workspace? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. Yeah, I actually just bought a condo downtown right above Soho Sushi. Woo! So I'm like, since I teach at Kendall, I don't have to worry about walking two miles in the snow or Ubering or trying to find parking and drive. So yeah, but I did up until this month. I did. Uh, Mark and I were living at the moon and now we live in our condo. I feel like there is a maybe like an unspoken common thread of unconventional spaces being not just one thing. And often as people are starting them or in different stages of the space and its identity, people live there as well as work. And there's like a thing we understand of like, it's a live workspace. It's a storefront. Mm-hmm. And those are wonderful. But I think there are lots of ways to do unconventional spaces. I and mean, we can make them unconventional, not just by living in them. Um, I was really curious about the Snake Shack in particular, because it's so new. I didn't know how it had gotten started. And I kind of hear everything secondhand from a friend of mine who goes there all the time. And she's like, 
it's the new thing. That's what she always <laughs> says. It's the new place. Uh, what I get a lot to my face is that it's the cleanest show house they've been to. Ooh. And just like, I've had a couple people say that we've had the best shows that they've been to. I don't want to steal any light away from some other show houses in the area that I really do like. But yeah. It's so nice when they're clean, though. Yes. We, tr- we try really hard to keep our house clean. Yeah. Mostly me. I'm kind of a, a little bit of a freak when it comes to it. But uh <laughs> Well, I guess that, that that begs the question, which is the next question, um, what's something you wish you knew before you started? Like, what has come up that you're like, oh, I wish we would have known it would be like this? I think it's fair to say that I assumed that it would be, you know, messy, that mm-hmm. people wouldn't be clean all the time. And it's not the biggest deal in the world. I, I like cleaning, but I think uh, I didn't realize that it would be like, it would be things that I'd be like, why did you leave this here? Oh, like, okay. why did you borrow our mugs and leave them in the basement? <laughs> Stuff like that is just, for me, it's just, you know, not something that I would think that people would do. So that was kind of a shock. Sure. Yeah. Have you had things you wish you would have known? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I had someone use our curtains as blankets when they couldn't find a place to crash, you know, after a show. And I love him. His name's Dan. And he... <laughs> He, um, but I, you know, we'll have people just kind of decide to stay over without telling us after events. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll wake up and, and, and find, um, random people very sweet, right? Like people are very respectful. We've never had any, um, really gross issues, right? People being mean or stealing things, right? But it's just kind of surprising, you know? <laughs> so, you know, people may use your curtains as blankets, <laughs> but lots of surprising things. I think I wasn't expecting, um so many people that just gravitate toward the space, you know, and want to be involved in any which way. And I think a lot of the time I have a hard time um, delegating enough or finding out, you know, how I could involve all the people that want to be involved. That's something I, I think I like to do, you know, I always did. But yeah, there's a lot of love for the spaces that, you know, people can become involved in the art. I guess I guess now I'm really curious, like, how have you guys seen community form around your space? I feel like one way is that explain this and make it sound like a real thing mm-hmm. or like have it make sense dylan and i have a friend from chicago sean green and uh i think the first show we ever had sean came from chicago and played and now every time that sean comes to play in grand rapids he'll play our house and we have like all of our friends are like yeah i want to see sean green so it's kind of like if that hadn't happened i don't think anyone in town would have known like really that sean green's music or anything like that so it was cool to see that kind of i guess that would be more about like bringing people into the spotlight rather than community but it is kind of cool to see like everybody come to see someone from far away yeah no that's really that's really cool i mean that is i feel like it's like a little fandom yeah for sure yeah it's funny sean's gonna hear this right right that's really neat (laughs) sean drop a link to your music (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would say that it's kind of the same you know when the moon was up and running and i was like working at kendall i was trying to figure out a way to like bring people from out of town into town and connect them with um, students, young people, and also um, so I could hang out with my friends, right? So (laughs) for instance, uh, Bex Isley in the UK, amazing performance artist, um, just visual artist all around. We were able to bring her in as an official visiting artist for Kendall. She, with a group of students and an LA cinematographer who's also a dear friend, and I was able to bring in through Kendall, um, made this video short on our psych wall in the moon. And it was fantastic. They did all of the art direction and costuming and set design. And the film went on to 
when uh, or be in um, film festivals, I think in LA and Berlin. Bex has kept in contact with some of the students and formed little collaborations. I know, I know with at least one of them. So uh, I really like the connections that we've been able to make through the space that way. That's super cool. Are there are there people who are fans of the space and, and want to be contributors or collaborators in some way, but maybe are not artists or, you know, do you run any sort of like volunteering for either space? What are ways that people can get involved and, and become part of the community? For a house show, we have people book shows that occasionally don't live there. So that's one way. If you're not a musician or artist, you can still, you know, ask your friends who are and want to do something like that. And uh, also, this is something that we've thought, or I've thought about at least. I don't know if um, Dylan has thought about this, but we've seen at other show houses, they have people like run door that don't live there or aren't like kind of running the rest of the show. So even just like asking a friend like, hey, do you want to do run door tonight or something like that? I'm trying, I can't think right now of something else that would be like that. But Mm -hmm. that could also be a way to have people who otherwise probably wouldn't be involved get involved. Yeah, we, um, we work with a lot of people who aren't necessarily artists that just like to enjoy the arts. And we've worked with physicists quite a bit. The Niels Bohr Institute in Copenhagen, um, we did a collaboration with um, someone who's actually Grand Rapids native, um, Jacob Borjali. He came in and um, donated to our space so that we could help kind of build it out. And we did a video collaboration with him in Vienna. And also he worked with students in the community to do a presentation on quantum field theory. As (laughs) one does. (laughs) Quantum field theory for pedestrians. So uh, I was kind of helping art direct the um, the costuming of the the students they were wearing and they were dressed up as photons. And then they did this choreographed sort of um, dance, I guess, if you want to call it, during his lecture to show how photons move. So there's that. And then we had another physicist, uh, Klaus Johns, in the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. Um, We just finished a book with him. So he actually, he's like a doctor of physics. And he also is a big fan and I guess an enthusiast or player, I'm not sure how he would describe it, of uh, Magic the Gathering. So he loves storytelling. Anyway, so it was great to work with him and involve him in a moon project that was kind of multidisciplinary. And he was able to find a place for his love of stories and, and physics, right? Because the physics became the narrative armature for the story. I play a giant fox. <laughs> it's about <laughs> it's about a laser splitting. Mark plays a laser that's also a photographer. And he hunts me as the fox that plays a photon that's in two places at once. So... That's a really really brief summary of that book. Anyway, but yeah, we love it because selfishly, I get to learn more about physics, right? And I get to go and speak to a bunch of physicists and they're like, well, what you guys do is crazy. And then I'm like, well, what you guys do is crazy. (laughs) I love it so much. So yeah, crossing boundaries like that. Architects too. We've worked with architects and community organizers. So yeah, I really seek that out so that I can learn and kind of stretch the boundaries of what art is supposed to be. If you ever want more physics connections, uh-huh. just let me know. Okay. My hometown uh, used to have the biggest particle accelerator in the world. I think now it's the second biggest, but we have like a Fermi Fermi National Laboratory physics lab. If you ever want to do more with that, that'd be an easy connection to. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I've been I was invited. Out, actually, my yeah, I was invited out to the Jet Propulsion Lab. 
um, JPL at uh, NASA in, in um, California because they were interested in collaborating with the moon. I just got a call like, out of the blue and I, I thought someone was pulling a prank on me, right? But there is like from both sides, um, like scientists and, um, you know, and NASA, right? And artists, we, I think it's growing in popularity to try to figure out a way to um, strengthen the arts and the sciences through each other. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I know that when I was like 15, my dad's friend, who was a physicist at the lab, but also a writer, wrote a musical. Yeah, <laughs> and nothing to do with physics. Called "Too Much Caffeine" that I was in as a 15 year old, but just shows the dual interest that you can yeah. have. I still don't know what that musical was about. I think it went over my head. <laughs> you know, I was 15. <laughs> well, and the history of arts and sciences being one in the same or being held closely together. You know, there's a strong history that goes for centuries, and it's actually a recent thing that we have tried to divide and compartmentalize them. So, Yeah, absolutely. Why did everything become so compartmentalized? You know, even within the, the visual arts, right? It's like you can't make printmaking, you're in sculpture, or, you know, which I absolutely don't believe, right? But it's like, well, why can't I convey some physics concepts through the visual arts, you know, and tell a story. And it's like, yeah, well, that if I had been engaged, for instance, with a playground that was based on theories within physics when I was little, and I could like climb on them, I'm a very tangible person. That's why I went into sculpture, I think. But if I could play and physically touch things that were helping me learn about concepts within physics, I may have thought that I had some business taking physics classes too by the time I became a teenager. But um, it's not really the way things are set up because everything's so compartmentalized. And I say the pooey, <laughs> pooey on that, right? Let's let's break it down. Yeah, resounding uh, pooey. And within within that same kind of theme, do you at the various shows do some of the artists or all of the artists have like a visual presence with them, or is it more stripped down? And is your house the visual presence? What's that like? Um, as for the house, our when we started having the shows last October, I did take a day to kind of decorate the downstairs and I kind of want to go back in and do some more. But right now there's just like fake ivy and like twinkly lights all over the ceiling and then some like just sheets hung up. And I think the there's like a big drum rug. I'm pretty sure it's like red or green or something like that. So um, we have some lights too, like a disco ball that turns and a TV that's just set to static. So stuff like that for sure. And then a lot of artists do come in with, you know, props. We had Terror Pigeon. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Terror Pigeon. They were touring with Real Dominic, and both of their sets were, like, incredibly beautiful, exciting, interactive, with lots of props. Real Dominic was, like, changing different costumes every couple songs with, like, a video playing in the, like, in the background Terror Pigeon brought a tent that we all helped put together and sat inside during a song. So, and we've had a lot of things like that too. That's probably the most extravagant that we've had, especially recently. But we definitely do have, you know, people bring stuff, people dress up. A lot of, I think a lot of musicians tend to like, at the very least, they will, especially if they're solo. I know I'm solo, so I tend to like wear all primary colors or wear a really big dress or something that just kind of makes it seem like there's more happening on stage than just a person and a guitar. And I'm trying to think of other things, but nothing's coming to mind right now. Those sound so exciting. It was yeah. like incredible. to get into a tent and, and then costume changes. Yeah. But just, like at a, just like <laughs> things at a house show that you'd be so close up to see. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fabulous. 
I did once go to, there used to be a rotating apartment dance party in Chicago. I'm sure it's defunct, called Queerer Park. It started in Wicker Park, but it was like a queer space, mostly. And um, anyway, I went to one called Laser Safari, and there were supposed to be lasers and a safari theme, but the laser person couldn't make it, so there was just a tent, and that was, and then it was just a dance party, and that was the only element of the theme. <laughs> And I just remember meeting a girl who ran, who lived in the apartment and in the tent. And she was like, hi, this is my tent. <laughs> like, so it was perfect. That is hilarious. So we talked some about collaboration in terms of like the way that people can get involved as a volunteer or as a part of the spark or who can come to you with a need or might bring you something that um, you didn't know that you needed. But what other ways is collaboration important to you? Or if it isn't, why have you shut it down? (laughs) (laughs) Something I really want to get into for our space, and I feel like this is something that a lot of the spaces in town should also try to do, is a lot of the times we have touring acts come through. So when we accept donations, it goes to the people who are on tour. They need to eat, they need to drive, gas. And then this does happen in town for sure, but I think it should be a lot more is having like just kind of local acts who don't necessarily need the money necessarily play, maybe still get a cut. Um, I think it's important to pay the musicians who play, but also like doing fundraising for people who need it or, you know, charity, stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting that like using spaces that are so personal for community support. Yeah, I, don't know. I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah, it's really, it's really, we always pay the musicians Mm -hmm. and try to, you know, support visual artists too that come because we don't see the separation, right? You know, as a visual artist, it costs also a lot to transport work somewhere Mm -hmm. and put it up and show it and take it down and take it home, you know, but it is incredibly important, right? So taking donations at the door or anything like that, encouraging people to buy merch from the bands or art from the artists, um, it's really, it's crucial, the collaboration question is, yeah, it's incredibly important. So we have a lot of costuming and like uh, visual art and music overlap too, which is great. And I really want to come to your space. I haven't been there yet. Please come to ours too. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But for, I'd say three years, we were really going hard on having themed events, right? So that everybody involved kind of knew what the theme was. And we were working, working, working toward getting um, that going from every aspect, you know, we have projections and, and the music and the visuals and the people in costumes. And, and a lot of times it would be um, inspired by the bands that were coming. For instance, the event we had in 20, July 2nd, 2016, it was called um, Space Face Glows on the Moon. <laughs> so everything was like black light and Space Face is this fantastic band and um, they come with this incredible setup that was very DIY, you know, at the time. I think they've, they've been evolving more, but at the time it was just a whole bunch of um, lights that they would build behind their stage and um then one one guy big red was kind of off to the side and he was in charge of operating all of the smoke and the lights you know for years i'd been making costumes for them so that was kind of part of the show too but that event was really based on them and also it was a tour kickoff for a project we were doing called extremophilia so i played a giant glowworm so it was like them and all of this like crazy light show that they bring with them from 
venue to venue and also that I, I had like a costume that was glowing like bioluminescence but not really <laughs> i wish and the people that came to join that show were all in costume too and um we had Stephen rainey and a handful of others um Stephen rainey runs gender back here in town right and works at the uica and um he was painting people with black light sensitive paints and so everybody was covered like in um, black light sensitive paint and it was fun we really got to involve the audience on that one. Um, I'm going to go red. This was not on our questions <laughs> list, but I'm wondering where the intersection of y'all's personal practice as artists and musicians intersects with the space. Was it like part of why you founded the space? Did you want to perform in your own space or to show work in your own space? Or does it feel better and more natural to have a separation where you're not showing your own work or performing in your own space? Just Can we talk about that a little when- bit? I first started Sneak Shack, uh, it was definitely more so that, you know, if I needed another person to fill a slot on a set or on a a bill, I would hop on, I would play. And when I put out a little 10 poem chapbook uh, last fall, I did a a little release thing, but it wasn't just me. It was a couple other local poets um, and local artists showcasing their art, things are for sale. And I, I feel like if I do end up playing at my house, I've, I've stopped doing my own thing at my house as frequently. But even when I do or did, it would be like, I would try not to like put myself in the forefront. I would be like, granted, it was a release thing for myself, but it was like, I would have preferred that people spent their money on the other people that were there. But I try to, lately, I've been trying to make it more so that I'm not really in the forefront. I'm just, you know, running door or letting people know where the bathroom is or running the space itself then uh i think it's also something to be said about uh if i am performing and running the space it gets to be kind of a lot to do uh in one night so uh definitely taking a step back is good on that end too yeah i'll second that yeah <laughs> definitely is a lot at events of the moon i would be in costume or something you know trying to be in a character but then mm-hmm. people would come up and ask me really like very necessary questions like where's the bathroom where's the extra ice you know yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. like, and then i had to break it so then it was like me and my frog character like competing <laughs> with <laughs> each other trying to figure out how i was supposed to act i'm always thinking about art always always like how, how can i turn this into like an art thingy right and then it drives mark crazy absolutely <laughs> crazy sometimes but he's also very much like kind of a workaholic but I have like 10 projects going on all the time, right? And just everywhere, everywhere. Like when I go home to visit my dad, I have projects. I have like a 26,000 pound rock that I'm carving there and other projects that I'm making puppets. And then here, you know, I have like, scattered projects around the moon and then at Kendall I have like my office is just ridiculous and I think about like teaching as a collaboration with like my students right and I know that I I guess the the short answer is I have a really hard time defining boundaries between my my life and my art like it's because it's the only real way I've been able to like express myself you know (laughs) like I've, I've had training to be able to articulate what my art means you know and I've been fortunate enough to like have a job that pays me to talk about art and teach art but I will second again Lily's sentiment on it being exhausting right when you're trying to curate the space and also be part of um, the art within the space so I think for that yeah I've had to start setting boundaries shy of having like emotional and physical breakdowns (laughs) Mm -hmm. just like taking on too much but if I didn't have to um, worry about my health mental or physical I would probably just not have that separation you know 
I could divide into two, right? Photons can do it. I've learned that, <laughs> right? I did it in one of my books. Why right. can't we just do that? Like, maybe someday. Natalie, do you ever feel like you want to take a break from it? Like um, everything? Yeah, or like just taking a little, like maybe like a month <laughs> where you just don't do anything. Sometimes I like, this is a Seinfeld reference, and not anybody, but um, I just sit in a chair and stare. <laughs> like I just completely break break down and mm-hmm. stare. I think if I were more mindful about that, I would call it uh, meditation, and then I would try to do that every day. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, so Mark and I are going on a vacation, quote unquote, right? It's kind of like a forced vacation. It's very sweet. His parents gave us a vacation in the Bahamas. So we just finished this big show uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And so like we're like running off the adrenaline from that. And it's like 12 days in the Bahamas. And we looked at each other like, what are we going to do? It was like, are we going to relax? Like, I'm going to read. I want to like sit on the beach. And then like, it wasn't even the end of the day before we were like developing a project we're going to do there. Because we're like, 12 days, we'll go crazy. (laughs) We'll go crazy, right? So we're like taking the underwater 360 camera and he's taking his film thing. And I'm taking things so I can make costumes out of local materials. So yes, but I don't know how. I don't know how to take a break (laughs) because I... I feel like I get weird if I have downtime. I feel like uh, a lot of times at Snake Shack, uh, we'll talk about, uh, you know, we're like, hey, do you want to just not book anything for a couple weeks? Like, (laughs) I kind of want to just like have the house be a house for a second. And then, you know, a week later, I or Dylan will get hit up by a friend of ours and be like, hey, can we play this date? And we're like, sure. So hard to say no. It's so hard to say no. no. I've gotten better at it. I think going back to uh, stuff that I wasn't uh, expecting, it's uh, confrontation is difficult. Saying no is difficult. Having to be that bad guy essentially is pretty hard. Running, uh, I don't know if if you've run into this. I assume that you have. I think we do have a problem in this uh, scene with occasionally with like abusers and we've had to like kick some people out that aren't good people and that confrontation can be pretty difficult, especially when they retaliate or they kind of freak out. I've had to, you know, tell people like, hey, please don't come back. And they're like, they kind of go off on me. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. We um, got to the point where we would hire a bouncer. Yeah. And we got to the point where we were drawing crowds that were too big Mm -hmm. for us to feel like we could control. It was great. And usually the energy was just great. But once in a while, I'd be like, I'd stop and look around and be like, ooh, what if something were to happen, right? And then Ghost Ship happened in LA and um, places were being shut down all over so you become kind of hyper aware of the safety of everybody that you are entertaining, right? Mm-hmm. You are Absolutely. hosting and entertaining. So I think to go back to like another question, one of the biggest challenges has been um, to make sure that we're doing things to keep everybody safe. Um, we want it to be as inclusive as possible, right? And some of the best things for me, like highlights people being like, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. You know, and I'm like, whoa, that's a crazy compliment, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of pressure. Please, a lot of pressure. Please come back. But it's like, oh, man, I really want to have that second exit be a little better, you know, or I want to have two bouncers if we're going to have this many people. Or I want to make sure like the fire suppression is like up to par, you know, right. this sort of thing. Like the, these are the things that you start to compile the longer I think that you're worried about the people you're hosting. And I think... um at least for me, I don't know how you're... I haven't been to the moon, so I don't exactly know how it's set up. Oh, yeah, whatever. I, you're welcome. Yeah. I should, yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing that I have um, an issue with, with like where I live, or the, I guess the space that I run, um, and uh, you know other show houses, since it's a house, a lot of times we're renting, like, it's so hard to be accessible, which is another thing that I've like scratched my head on. Like I don't know how to 
these ho- the houses are like old they're not up to par like or up to code anymore so it's like it's really hard to make a space that's going to be accessible to everybody that everyone's going to feel like not only comfortable at but like like they can be a part of it like they can not everyone can walk up the the front steps like that's something i'm constantly thinking about yeah it's one reason we moved from our second floor in the building down to the first floor that we call the core now Mm -hmm. so um because we have a ramp right and a huge door everybody can exit right so it was like and we put in um um an ada compliant bathroom that's it makes me feel better you know about about having people there yeah and i think that it becomes really challenging the more popular get great right but then it's just the more you have to be careful and consider the safety of everybody and it's like yeah. reality starts to sink in and then you feel like a wet blanket. <laughs> you know, when people yeah. want to have these big ideas that, you know, for, for me, like three years ago, I would have been like, yeah, let's do it. And now I'm thinking about safe. How, <laughs> you know, yeah. how is that safe? Yeah. No, I feel like it's really been brought home for me the few times I've been in spaces that aren't accessible, but there has been someone like in a wheelchair there. And mm-hmm. I was recently at a house show and I think to get out of the house, there's like three steps. And my friend's friend, who I didn't I didn't know, but um, he was in a wheelchair. I mean, he was pretty hardcore. He just backed himself like his friends were going to help him. He's like, it's fine. He just backed himself down the stairs in the wheelchair, sort of gripping the handrail but just uh-huh. like rapidly gunk 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 went down the stairs Whoa. and his friends were like do you ever fall backwards when you do that he's like well sometimes <laughs> i was like what a cavalier obviously like a young person in a wheelchair is going to be a little wilder but i do also remember um i mean i used to years ago I, I lived in japan and i went to um a buddhist temple for like new year's and you know an old Buddhist temple is not going to be compliant at all so there's just all these stairs leading up to it like stone outdoor steps uh-huh. and i remember I didn't see. I saw this girl once. I was inside the temple who was in a wheelchair. Also, you can't have a wheelchair in a Buddhist temple because the floors will get dented in, even by furniture, because the Japanese floors are so soft what they're made out of. So it was just strange to see, like, just someone who needs a wheelchair just having to sit on the ground and just deal with it, and then watching her family like carry her down all the steps in the end. And I was like, I don't know how this would work, but it's not working. You know, mm-hmm. right? Like the so. best version of that is that someone is able to perform their entrance or exit as like a feat, and the worst version is just much, much like it totally inaccessible. Worse. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we're gonna do like some just quick questions, real quick. Do either of you own your space? Mark and I have been property managers for the last two years. I want to say, mm-hmm. and our good friend and collaborator on so many occasions um anthony ferrara is the owner so he's la based and he was looking for properties in detroit you know mark and i had already been running the moon for at that point two or three years and the former owner was mentioned that he was going to sell it and he walked someone that i i will not mention (laughs) big developer with a lot of money through the space while we were getting ready for that space space blacklight show and he just mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm, I might have to sell the building. This fellow wants to turn it into a parking lot. And I was like, what? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like a logistical nightmare. We had to learn a lot about like business loans and how that could work, right? And how we might be able to buy it. And um, when it came down to it, Mark and I couldn't buy it because we couldn't afford an architect to 
um, make it official, make official plans on how much we used for residency and how much we used for business, right? So we couldn't get a business loan. And our friend Anthony really stepped up and decided to buy property here in Grand Rapids instead of Detroit. And so, no, but we have a close friend who did, and mm-hmm. it's awesome because he's put um, a lot of money into fixing it up and is very concerned about bringing everything up to code. Mm-hmm. And we've actually stopped doing so many shows as we're kind of rehabilitating. The Nipple Show uh, last November, Zachary, you said you went to that. Yes, that was yeah, the first, was first event. Um, we kind of like, yay, we had our new bathroom, you know, and the ramp and into the space and all of that. So things have definitely improved with a new owner, not us, but a good friend. Cool. So that's a whole different set of challenges, the challenges mm-hmm. of learning to become a property manager oh and navigating goodness, yeah. all of those relationships. And I know that there are certainly challenges in working with landlords and being a renter. How do you navigate those conversations with your landlord? Like, uh, hey, we're renting this place. Also, it's a show house. Like we tell them. <laughs> we have a property management company, so they they're not going to hear this. I hope. <laughs> well, also, we have not expressed where this house is or the address or anything. This is true. So. Very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah no, we, uh, they have no idea that we do shows. Um, they do know other things. I started a garden. I made sure that was okay with them, like some raised bed plots. But yeah, generally, we we haven't really said anything about it. Because uh, I, I, I feel like it would not go over well. I don't know. It's a property management company, so they tend to be like not the best with certain things. So yeah, we just haven't talked about it. Well, these are different different avenues to yeah. having an unconventional space. Uh, speaking of just sort of those avenues to getting where you're going, what would you recommend to people who are emerging, either in their consideration or who have been like helping run another space and they're thinking about taking on one of their own? Maybe some like notes to my younger self. What would you recommend thinking about if people are thinking about getting an unconventional space? First of all, do it. Nice. Absolutely. But also, I don't know, I feel like just understand there's a lot of work that goes into it, especially depending on what kind of space it is. I feel like you you tend to put a little more work into your space. I feel like most of what... I have a salary. I'm a professor. Before that, it yeah. was different. Yeah. But all yeah. of my money goes into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So mine is mostly like all the only money I really put into my space is renting it and also mm-hmm. buying things when... Things get broken or uh, I bought, we bought the stuff for the basement to decorate it. And that's about it. Like most of the other stuff that goes into the space, like the spaces that people sit and stuff like that, it's just the furniture that we have and like uh, changing did, it. Did you have to purchase a PA initially? Like, um, a sound, like for sound? No, our friend uh, is a sound engineer. So we oh, okay. just have the PA. We just borrow the PA from her and she will come in and do sound occasionally, but she's also showed us how to use it to the extent that we need to know for shows. So it has its home at our house and she will come take it if she needs to. Okay, gotcha. Um, But yeah, so that was really lucky, actually. I feel like that's one of the things that for starting a show house, especially like you need to have sound and PAs are expensive. So that was a really, it was lucky that we had a friend that was willing to do that. What about your notes to your younger self as we wrap up? Oh, yeah, a lot of work, labor of love. You're not going to make money. And it took us a while to realize that we um, not only wouldn't make money, that wasn't really our goal, but not even, like, we wouldn't break even most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely our art. So those, make sure that you pay the artists that are coming through. Um, make sure that you have a way to do that. Because uh, a lot of times I would end up just paying out of pocket because I, I didn't put into place ways to 
let people know that their money would go directly to the bands. But if people know, they're pretty generous, right? So if I didn't, if I wasn't on top of that, then I just ended up paying out of pocket a lot. And that gets really expensive. So that and just love it. Keep going. (laughs) I think keep people safe. It's a big one. So this has been another episode of Break It Down, Make It Better, the podcast. We are here in the WGVU Public Radio studios. I'm Heather Duffy here with Natalie Wetzel, Lily Rich, and Zachary Trebellis. Thank you all for being part of our conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Break It Down, Make It Better podcast is presented in partnership with WGVU Public Media. Break It Down, Make It Better conversations are recorded in the WGVU Public Radio studio. Episodes are produced by Rick Bierling and hosted by Heather Duffy. Episodes can be streamed at WGVU.org and wherever you find your podcasts. Pooey. Yeah. Resounding uh, pooey.